When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He got into my singing and and as he was writing, Paradise wrote it for me and Meet and we would be working on it with him like in the afternoons before shows. Wow. We did a lot of touring together with that record. So we were all over the world doing things. I think that's how the friendship forged. I think that day I saw a little glimpse of what Meatloaf was like when he was at home in his slippers, <laughs> sitting down watching a bit of telly. <laughs> and I, I feel quite privileged because I don't think many people got to see that. Hello and welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, this is an unscheduled episode, one I didn't want to have to make, but one that I felt compelled to. Just days after releasing a special tribute episode looking back at the incredible rock stars we lost in 2021, I'm here again in my studio recording another tribute special, this time to one of the largest characters in showbiz. And I use the word showbiz deliberately because singer or rock star doesn't cover it all, really, does it? Marvin Lee Aday, better known to you and I and the rest of the world as Meatloaf, sadly passed away on the 20th of January less than 24 hours ago from when I'm recording this now. Now, with a legend such as he, I mean, he is the singer and image behind one of the biggest selling albums of all time. There's various numbers floating around, but the trusty Wikipedia claims it's 43 million, so we'll go with that. 43 million physical copies sold of one album. It's a staggering thought, really, isn't it? Especially living now in the age of virtual streaming and downloading. 43 million pieces of vinyl, cassette tapes, CDs, I don't know, 8-track, mini discs, remember those? And all of those that bear the image of the long-haired biker bursting out of the graveyard were bought and paid for and taken home to listen to over and over again. It's, It's just astonishing, isn't it? But as I said before, it's not just that record that makes him a legend. He starred on stage, on the big screen, and on the small screen too. So with this news, I wanted to put together a special show in tribute to the great man. So you're going to hear from Ellen Foley, an interview I did with her just a couple of weeks ago that I still haven't had chance to release yet. You're going to hear some stories from the Bat Out of Hell days, because Ellen is, of course, the female singer on the album, most famously on Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Last year, I spoke with John Parr, best known for his worldwide smash hits St Elmo's Fire and tracks like Naughty Naughty and Under a Raging Moon. But in the interview, he told me it was Meatloaf that gave him his break. He ended up writing songs for Meatloaf, duetting on a great single with him and becoming a friend. So you're going to hear all of that, too. You'll also hear from a national radio presenter here in the UK. She's on broadcasting across the UK every weekday from 10am on Absolute Classic Rock. And she used to present the BBC Radio 1 Rock Show 2, Claire Sturgis. She's going to tell you about her meetings with Meatloaf. Plus, you're going to hear from three fans as well. And I thought it important because he is, well, was much loved. And I wanted to speak to people who cared so passionately about his music to get their reactions. As I said, just hours after they find out the news. So you're going to hear from Mike Norris from the UK and Stephanie Myers and Joseph Kay from over in America. 
There's lots of great stories about the great man for you to enjoy throughout this special episode. But we're going to start with Claire, who took the time out of her day to speak with me this morning about her meetings and interviews with Meatloaf in her role as a much-loved radio presenter here in the UK. Claire, um, thank you for joining us today, but uh, it's it's on sad terms, unfortunately. Sadly, Meatloaf has passed away, and it's a man that uh, you've met and interviewed, isn't it? Yeah, hi, Paul. Really nice to talk to you, and yeah, it is sad, isn't it, on such a, such a sad day. Mm. I'm absolutely gutted. You know, 74, um, I mean, he'd lived an incredible life, but, you know, we weren't ready to say goodbye just yet. But yeah, I, I'm very lucky to have interviewed him on, on a, a few occasions. I've got to tell you about the first one, which I have very sort of shady sketchy memories of because it, I was so young it was a long long time ago because I'm very old now um, <laughs> and it's when I was working on Radio 1 I did the Radio 1 rock show many years ago back in the 90s yes. and he was playing I think it was Wembley Arena um, and I think we were either broadcasting the show live or certainly recording it for the rock show and I got to interview him backstage sort of in his sort of uh, dressing room slash trailer and um as a young sort of twenty-something, obviously I knew who he, who he was, and but I was absolutely—I could hardly mm. speak. I was so terrified. Um, <laughs> luckily for me, though, um, you don't have to worry much about it when you interview Meatloaf about actually talking too much because he literally just takes the microphone and off he goes. So um, he did a fantastic interview for me. I think I asked him one question, as in, "Hi, Meatloaf, how are you? Are you looking forward to the show?" And off he went. So, um, so yeah, that sort of was an indication way back in the day for me that you know if you're going to interview uh, Meatloaf you're going to be okay. He's a people person. Uh, as long as you're into his music and what he does, you're going to be yeah. fine. Yeah, the, the interview that I did most recently, so I'm just going to keep talking until you interrupt. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> no, carry on, Claire. No, no, you keep going. Um, was back in 2016 when he, he released uh, the album Braver Than We Are. So he was doing yeah. the rounds in the UK, d- doing, you know, all the, the, the major TV shows, chat shows and radio stations. And I think it was... It must be interesting when you have released an album like Bad Out of Hell, you know, possibly the it is the, <laughs> the biggest selling album in the world ever. So pretty much everyone wants to talk about that album, really, don't they? And when you come yeah. with uh, with a new album, back working with Jim Steinman, I think maybe he was sort of feeling that, you know, I want to talk about this new music. But really, most people just want to talk about Bad Out of Hell. And I understand that. When he came in to talk to us, though, Absolute Classic Rock, we were quite happy to talk about the new music. So I could feel him instantly relaxing when he realised that, oh, OK, you do want to know about the new yes. music. And um, he was also in a lot of pain, I remember. He'd, he'd hurt his back. I think it was a long-term sort of back issue he had. So he came into the studio uh, with his lovely assistant, who I've met on a, a few occasions. She's just She just really looks after him. And... Um, you could tell he was tired. He wasn't grumpy, but you could see in his face that it had been a long day and this was still mid-afternoon. He had a, a, a Pret-a-Manger sandwich with him. And, and we sat down in the studio and, and I said, look, do you just want to eat your sandwich for a bit and have a drink and let's just turn off the microphone? Just chill, yeah. That's exactly it, Paul, just chill. The photographer was sent away for half an hour and we just talked about nothing. Um, and he wasn't... He wasn't meatloaf. He was just a normal person complaining about his back, a little bit tired, really peckish. 
are you sure if I can, are you sure I'm a, you're okay with me eating the sandwich? Yeah, fine, go ahead. <laughs> and within half an hour, he had come back to be a meatloaf again. We turned on the mic, the photographer came in and off he went. Again, just, I asked a couple of questions and off he and went again. It. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was a really long winded answer to your question. But yeah, um, not at all. You know, he was first and foremost an actor. I mean, how many films? About 65 films, I think he's, he's appeared in, starred in. Yes, he was yeah. an actor. So he approached rock and roll. He approached each song he did, every album he recorded. He had to create this persona, this character. And each song, each album had their character. And that's what he would bring to the recording studio, what he would bring to the stage. And he acted his entire life. And I, I, I like that. I like the honesty of that. So, yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Day. Yeah. He's a larger than life character, wasn't he? And as you said there, he, yeah, he kind yeah. of, it sounds like he switched from Marvin eating his sandwich into meatloaf. Yes. Yeah. I think that day I saw a little glimpse of, of what meatloaf was like when he was at home in his slippers, <laughs> sitting down watching a bit of telly and just relaxing with the family. Um, and I, I feel quite privileged because I don't think many people got to see that just for just for a few minutes as he rehydrated, had some food, sat down, um, relaxed, you know, probably took a couple of painkillers, I hope, for his back, you know, and yeah. So I was very privileged. Indeed, indeed. Incredible memories. And then just lastly from me, Claire, just to put you on the spot, so, just so I can get an instant reaction. What is your favourite meatloaf song? Do you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because they're to me, they're all... They're all very special in their own way. But I, what I love for the sheer exuberance and fun is, is his work with Cher, Dead Ringer for Love. Mm -hmm. I just love that um, for the thrill of it all. So, yeah, um, or what you could just see they're having and hear they're having such a good time when they were recording that song. The brilliant Claire Sturgis there. You can catch her on Absolute Classic Rock every weekday. She is brilliant. Right now, let's hear from a good friend of Meatloaf's, John Parr. As I said earlier, this is from an interview I did with John last year. It's episode 15 of Vintage Rock Pod. It's a brilliant chat with him. He reveals so much like how his career was halted for 19 years due to a court case at the height of his fame. He suffered huge debts. He became a black belt in martial arts and he won Cruft too, which is the world's biggest dog show if you didn't know it's definitely worth checking out that interview anyway in this little clip john tells me all about his break thanks to meatloaf and his subsequent career working with his friend yeah i mean i signed this little publishing contract in 83 i was working in this little eight track studio and of course it was cassettes then and yeah. one inch tape they used to give me a hundred pounds to make each demo so i could afford to pay musicians sent stuff out uh, got interest from Rod Stewart and from um, Diana Ross. But the call, the first bite was meatloaf. And that kind of changed everything. And you spoke, well, I spoke to you before. You said that within a week of getting this call off, off meatloaf, you're over there in, was it Connecticut with his family? And it all yeah. kind of snowballed from there. Snowballed there. It was really weird for me because I was like, you know, a Yorkshire, a Northern musician that had been in eight-track studios, suddenly I'm in a world-class studio with world-class musicians. Within a couple of days, they're going, 
what do you think of this, John? You think I should do that? I was really welcome, <laughs> but I was ready. You know, it's kind of case hardened from all the years on the clubs. You know. Now, how did you find working with Meatloaf then? Because obviously, his reputation is of um, I don't know a fearsome man, yeah. probably or a difficult man at times. And you obviously forged a really good relationship with him. Yeah, he's like people say, watch it, you know, bite your leg or he'll throw a piano lid at you. You know, he's. But no, he and I, you know, we met at, we met at Newcastle City Hall. He was doing uh, he was doing a tour there. And that's when I gave him the cassette and we just hit it off. But of course, the songs, as I'd said before to you, the songs that I gave him, I was singing like him. So it was like his own records he was listening to. He loved it. And uh, he split with Jim once again and was looking for a new writer. And I think he saw me as, you know, the white hope, great white hope. Fantastic. And just skipping forward a few years, you, you two actually performed and recorded a duet together, didn't you? Rock and Roll Mercenaries, which was a big hit as well, wasn't it? Do you know, it's funny, I saw a link on it. I clicked on it yesterday because, you know, links come through on Google and it said, oh, mm. Rock and Roll Mercenaries. I put it up and I forgot. It's a stunning video shot with uh, the late, great Terry Donovan, who's like a photographer. He was the guy who did Addicted to Love for Robert Palmer with those beautiful girls. And some of those girls are in that, if you watch, in, in <laughs> that video but yeah it was a great record recorded that with frank fari and over in germany great days and you talk about the video there i mean meatloaf's eyes in that video he's looking fearsome again using that word again for him but he just looked like he was ready to tear wasn't he He was ready to go yeah he wasn't the thing is he was in good shape though he wasn't you know i normally got very obese in the bat out of hell days so he's probably three or four stone lighter and um we did a lot of touring together with that record. So we were all over the world doing things. And I think that's how the friendship forged. But it's really weird. He's just, as we say in England, big boned. You know, he's not He's not a big eater. He certainly doesn't drink, you know. So he's, uh, he's just big, a big Texan lad who was raised on stakes. Such a nice guy, John Parr there. He released a statement on his social media today, which I recommend you go and read, especially for the bit about the German saying that Meatloaf used to shout out when they toured. I won't spoil the ending for you on that one. Just go and check it out. It's quite a long one, so I'm not going to read it all, but it begins, I thought I'd be able to sit down, open my heart, and say a farewell to my friend. For once, I'm a little lost for words. Now, like everybody, I'm sure, I've been looking up meatloaf videos and songs and news stories and things like that today, and there's been lots of things surfacing again from down the years, but a fun one I saw was about his meeting with the British royal family, and if you haven't heard this one yet, it is great. Meatloaf told his story to a British newspaper, The Guardian, in 2003. He said this, It was great fun. I had a great time. Fergie, that's Sarah Ferguson, Prince Andrew's wife at the time, of course, wasn't exactly flirting with me, but she was paying attention to me. And I think Andrew got a little, I could be wrong, I'm just reading into this, I think he got a little jealous. Anyway, he tried to push me in the water. He tried to push me in the moat. So I turned around and I grabbed him. And he goes, you can't touch me, I'm royal. I said, well, you try push me in the moat, Jack. I don't give a shit who you are. You're going in the moat. Brilliant story. Typically meatloaf, isn't it?
Anyway, next up, let's hear from a meatloaf superfan, and in this she'll explain exactly why she deserves that honour. Now, Stephanie is co-host of Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes podcast, along with uh, Stephanie Pena. It's also on the Pantheon Podcast network of shows, just like Vintage Rock Pod is, so please do go and check out their show. Now, I started by asking her how she felt this morning when she first heard the news. I had just disbelief waking up to a ton of texts on my phone, obviously, um, from people who knew that I would be crushed. So that was quite a way to wake up. His music has been such a huge part of my life. And yeah, I consider myself to be a super fan of his music. Uh, to be honest, disagreed with the number of things he's said in recent years. Um, but his music has played a huge part of my life since I was really 12 years old. So it's just, I'm kind of still reeling from it yeah. um, for a additional context on my fandom if people are interested um if you guys get the yearly spotify wrapped yep. where it talks about your top artist it told me as long as spotify has had that feature which has been years now it said oh you're in the top i think it was 0.03 percentage of meatloaf listeners in the world wow so, <laughs> so i feel like i have <laughs> i feel like i have a little you know fandom cloud i think there. super fun is yeah <laughs> that's definitely more than more than earned i think that's super fan status so so you mentioned 12 years old then when you discovered meatloaf so how did you discover meatloaf and why did it strike such a chord with you as a 12 year old yeah that's a great question i discovered bad out of hell too kind of at the same time i discovered the original bad out of hell um and the music at that time uh it just really connected with me in a way that i had never even really connected with music prior to that time you know age 12 and so that became such a huge part of my musical identity, as it were. Um, followed his music fastidiously over the years, you know, got his every album the day it came out and sometimes before it came out. So, yeah, very big fan. Very big fan indeed. Now, as I said at the start there, you've, you've seen it live 13 times in concert. I mean, that's incredible. You one of these, uh, as soon as the dates were announced, that you were booking your tickets, were you seeing him maybe a couple of times on the tour, that sort of thing? So, uh, yeah, I first saw him at age 13. So that was my first concert, and that was really, really cool. Um, the last time I got to see him was in New Jersey in 2016, and that was kind of his last tour. He'd done kind of spots between and kind of around then. But I got to meet him after one of the shows in 2002, and he couldn't have been nicer. Uh, my friend and I had waited outside by his tour bus. And we're like, well, maybe he'll sign our ticket. Like, maybe he won't. Whatever. We'll wait here. And they came up and they said, he's going he's gonna to talk to you. Wait a couple minutes. And we're like, oh, my God. So uh, <laughs> my friend starts, um, if you're familiar with Beavis and Butthead, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, mm -hmm. uh, gets down on his knees and starts doing that. <laughs> not worthy, I'm not worthy. And Meat goes, yes, you are. Get up, get up. Nope, nope, Great. you're worthy, you're worthy. And it was, uh, it was funny, but it was also like, hey, you're not gonna, you're not gonna treat me like a star. Like, I'm just like you. And then the first thing out of my mouth, I just didn't know what to say. And I just said, I love you, Meat. And he just said... <laughs> We love you too, the collective we, which I thought was so funny. And um, sat in his tour bus, kind of the little um, wow. part, and let us like sit there and talk to him. And it was really special. Indeed. So how did you find him as, as a person then? Because I spoke to different people, I've met him and interviewed him and things like that. And the, the perception of him, of him is of a fiery character sometimes, pretty fearsome, some have said. And there are obviously tales of that as well. But to, to others that have met him and spoken with him, he's, he's a really nice down-to-earth character too. Yeah, yeah. Very, very nice. I think very appreciative of his fans. Um, and really, uh, you've seen this over the years. If you look at interviews, he always said, 
I make sure nobody calls me a star or a legend or anything like that during interviews. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't even do that. That's not who I am. But definitely in a fan context was very sweet. I also got to interview him for a music publication um, that I was writing for. It was right around the lease of his Hang Cool Teddy Bear album, which he was very proud of. And he was great in that context too. And one thing I had noticed as <laughs> somebody who's also read a lot of his interviews over the years is um, he really appreciated when people did not ask him the same questions, which is usually like, yeah. how did you get your name? And what won't you do for love? <laughs> um, so <laughs> he was very, uh, of course I had, you know, deep fan questions and he was so nice about it. Spent a lot of time with me on phone and uh, we talked about the album and he was really cool. So I'll always appreciate those memories. Incredible. Now, um, you mentioned there about some of the, the things he said in recent years and things like that. But in, in terms of that, and in terms of the music and in terms of the films and the TV and the acting and, and the, the comedic side to him as well. I mean, he wasn't scared to be funny about things and put himself down in certain places as well. What kind of legacy overall does Meatloaf leave behind? Yeah, um, it's so interesting that uh, people still come to his acting roles, right? When he has said over the years to, he said, you know, I'm an actor first. Um, and I just happened to yeah. fall into music, but he did Shakespeare in the park um, and he did the musical hair. And this was all before he um, got with Jim Steinman subsequently made albums there. Yeah. Um, but I always think just in terms of legacy, his music was so centered thematically around uh, getting back up, keep fighting when life throws these challenges at you. And he fought himself through so many challenges over the years through things like bankruptcy in the eighties and having to subsequently reprove himself through the strength of his live shows and generations discovered him through that. And then all the way down to his various health challenges um, throughout the course of the years, which was quite a few different health challenges. And to hear that he passed from COVID um, that's a tragedy. (laughs) It's a tragedy to me. As of this recording, his family hadn't released his vaccination status, but he spoke out against the mandates despite initially making statements kind of at the beginning of COVID to please be careful and everyone take care of each other. Um, So it's just a tragedy regardless. I hope if anything, quote unquote, good comes out of the tragedy that folks will see this news and realize like nobody's immune. Uh, Please get vaccinated if you've been hesitant and just keep yourself safe. It's real and it's not over, you know, and I'm so sad he's gone. Absolutely. And uh, one last question I ask everybody. I like to throw it on at the end so I get an instant reaction. What is your favorite Meatloaf song and why? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to... So I love all of his work with Jim Steinman, but I think everyone's going to say all those. So I'm going to go with one that um, I don't hear a lot of people mention, and it's um, Alive off Bad Out of Hell 3. Um, and it's a, it's a really good one, and it really kind of sums up his, I think, ethos. And I encourage everybody to go take a listen to that. Um, We'll be releasing our tribute episode talking just further about him on this Wednesday, January 26th, just going into our stories. But as Meat would say, he said at the end of every show, never stop rocking. Thank you to Stephanie Myers for giving up time on her lunch break to chat with me. Now, as you'd expect, the tributes have poured in from the great and good of the world of showbiz. Uh, Just reading a couple of them now. Brian May said, Always full of madness, with the innocent sense of naughtiness of a five-year-old. Meat was forever young. We had so much fun, so many times, and just three months younger than me, he felt like a brother. Bonnie Tyler, who also famously worked with Jim Steinman, said he was 
one of the rare people who truly was a one-off talent and personality. Alice Cooper said, Meat Loaf was one of the greatest voices in rock and roll, and he was certainly one of my closest friends in the business. While theatre supremo Andrew Lloyd Webber said, The vaults of heaven will be ringing with rock. Give my best to Jim. Now, next up on the show, we're going to hear a snippet from an interview I did just a couple of weeks ago that I haven't actually released yet. This is a snippet from a, a future episode set for release on the 31st of January with the wonderful, colourful and fun Ellen Foley. Now, Ellen, of course, was the female singer on the Bat Out of Hell album, most famously duetting pretty much on Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Ellen, like Meatloaf, is a multi-talented individual, though. She began her career on stage, which is where she met both Meatloaf and Jim Steinman. She had an impressive solo music career and worked with the likes of The Clash as well. And she appeared in films like alongside Tom Cruise in Cocktail. It's a great interview and I'm looking forward to releasing it. But in this clip I'm going to play now, she talks about those early days. The meeting with Meatloaf and Jim Steinman while you were performing on that National Lampoon show. I mean, let's start with how you you finally met them and and how the alchemy all started from there. Uh, Well, it was, you know, uh, your typical, you know, you audition for a show and you get the part. And uh, we ended up touring, you know, it it wasn't, you know, a tour where you have your own uh, private jet. Let me put it that way. We were, in, we were in this blue van schlepping around the country and you get to know people pretty well. And that's when Jim was uh, writing the songs, writing the Bad Out of Hell songs. And, uh, you know, the, there was singing in the show. So he, uh, you know, he got into my singing and, and as he was writing the Paradise, basically, um, wrote it for me and meet and we would be working on it with him like in the afternoons before shows you know he'd he'd find a piano somewhere wherever we were and um and when he was creating those songs from the from you know whole cloth from nothing Incredible. So from that stage then, I mean, obviously that's that's the very early point of that album and that record and those songs coming together. Could you feel that they were special even from that very beginning? Oh, yeah, because they were they they had an amazing, um, you know, pop sound, rock and roll sound. There were, you know, the melodies and stuff that you can relate to. And and you might have heard somewhere in other music that you grew up with, but there was a completely unique point of view. I mean, particularly in the lyrics, you certainly never heard anything as uh, um, sophisticated, as poetic and and as dramatic as that. You know, Springsteen, I mean, I think Springsteen uh, influenced Jim. You can hear that in the big sound as well, of course, Phil Spector. But I think that those those writers were were pretty much... uh, I don't want to say Springsteen was more basic, but, you know, wrote, wrote about driving around in cars, you know, and eventually Bruce started writing about the working man. But at that point, and then Jim comes out with death and angels and um, sex and the front seat <laughs> of a car, you know, stuff you haven't heard before. <laughs> Oh, 
Helen Foley there. As I said, that's just a short clip of the interview that's going to be released very soon indeed. And talking about Bat Out of Hell, my next guest has been very vocal over the years in his love for the album. Indeed, it's his favourite album of all time. Mike Norris hosts the long-running podcast series My Classic Album, where he interviews rock stars and talks about their favourite albums. It's fantastic. Definitely do check it out. So I started by asking him, too, how he felt this morning when he first heard the news. This this might sound a bit dramatic, and I don't mean it to, but I guess if, if we're going to be dramatic about anyone, I guess Meatloaf is kind of the, the perfect choice. But it, it was genuinely a gut punch, genuinely. I think it was my wife. So obviously we were just downstairs kind of in the living room, and and I just saw it. And, and, and it's, it's so amusing, like a face kind of dropped, and I was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And, you know, that she was like, Meat, Meatloaf's died. And it's almost as if we were talking about a member of our family. Yes. Like that's that's kind of the reaction to it. And I think I, the, the crazy thing is, I've, I've joked with a couple of people today, my phone has not stopped. You know, I, one of my best friends actually messaged me and it was a really genuinely quite concerned, are you okay kind of message, you know? And, and, and it, it just shows like so many people, I mean, you said it there, a lot of people have said to me, when I think of Meatloaf, I think of you. So yeah. when they had this news, they immediately thought, Oh, I need, to, I need to check it on Mike and see how he's doing. <laughs> That's exactly what I did this morning, honestly. I mean, from listening to your podcast and from you seeing your social media, it's clear that you're a huge Meatloaf fan. And as soon as I heard the news and I put my things up on social media, the first person I emailed was you to, to, to get your thoughts on it and everything. So yeah. uh, thank you very much for coming on the show, Mike. Um, so let's go back to Bat Out of Hell. Like I said, you've, you've made no secrets of it being your favorite album of all time. Um, you weren't around, obviously, when that came out. So, so why Bat Out of Hell and what got you into it? So I think a lot of that, like you say, so I'm 35. So the album, I think the album's over 40 years old. My classic album did a, did a special episode on Bat Out of Hell back in 2017. My discovery of that came from my parents. So they had it on CD. They also had it on vinyl. I was literally, I must have been five, six years old, looking at that cover thinking, what on earth is this? You know, one of my first memories of music is two out of three ain't bad. You know, one of the first songs I can remember hearing and listening to and, you know, go press and repeat so I can listen to it again or, you know, however I was listening to it. So from a very early age, and I think, you know, I've, I've, I've been in your show before and we've talked about my love of Queen yeah. and a lot of the kind of the classic 70s stuff. Uh, for me, and this is why I think it was such a gut punch for me this morning, you know, Meat Loves Music for me is second only to Queen in terms of the impact that it's had on me and, and Battle to Hell it is undisputedly my favourite album of all time. So what is it about the album then? I mean, we can talk about the theatrics and everything, but in terms of the, the record as a whole, as a, as a single piece, a unit, I mean, what is it about that record that, that speaks so closely to your soul? Yeah, I think that's exactly yeah. one of the things that if you if you listen to my classic album, we talk about how an album takes you on a journey. And mm. I think obviously casual music listeners, you know, will kind of pick and choose songs. They might listen to an album and be like, yes, I like I that did. song. Yeah. yeah. And that's totally fair enough. And, you know, for a long time, that was probably how I listened to music. But then obviously the, the journey an album takes you on, you know, if you fall in love with an album, you know, it's just it's just amazing. And I think there's only seven songs on this album. I say only, obviously they're all very grand <laughs> epic songs, but they just they just they just grab me in in, in a way in terms of kind of the theatre and the drama of it and the 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 melodrama and, and, and all of that that's kind of tied into it. And obviously Jim Steinman passed away last year and I had a few words on my podcast about, about Jim's passing and obviously those words come from Jim. You know, he's very much he conceptualized the whole album, yeah. you know, he is the 
the mastermind behind that. And I think it was Todd Rundgren had said something along the lines of, you know, that if Jim was to sing these lyrics, we wouldn't believe them. But with Meatloaf, we do. And it's like that for Meatloaf, it's that conviction. And it's, yeah. you know, he is the voice of that music. And Jim worked with so many other people. But for me, it's that pairing of the two of them, which, you know, about to hell, it's that perfect collision of, of everything. You know, Meatloaf, Jim Steinman, Todd's production, the East Street Band or members of it kind of backing yeah. on that album. Just everything about it is just... For, for me personally, it's just pitch perfect, you know, absolutely phenomenal. And you talk about Meatloaf there, almost the, the face of it, isn't he? But it's his incredible background as well. The fact that he is an actor, the, the fact that he is so theatrical himself and, and the way that Jim wrote it, especially for him, nobody else really could have pulled it off at all, could they? No, I don't think they could have. And I think, you know, obviously, like we say, Meatloaf did, he released many albums without contributions from Jim. Jim did a lot of work without Meatloaf, but I think... I'm sure they would probably both agree they were at their best when they were together. And, you know, at the risk of sounding a bit soppy, they, they are back together now, you know, which, you know, is something that I kind of took a bit of solace in this morning when I was sort of thinking about it. But I think, you know, we talk about Battle of Hell and I've, I've talked about that so much over the years, but even Dead Ringer, Battle of Hell 2, yep. there's even, you know, I know that Braver Than We Are that came out five mm-hmm. years ago was quite divisive. People talked about Meatloaf's voice maybe kind of deteriorating over the years, which it certainly did. Um, but at the same time, there was just some magic in that partnership and the fact that they were back together again. And, you know, you know, be they apart or be they together, you know, Meatloaf has, you know, on screen and on records, just phenomenal memories for, for all of us. Did you ever get to see them live or anything like that? I did. So I saw Meatloaf on four occasions um, from about 2005. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in 2005, I saw him um, in a venue called Harewood House, which is in Harrogate, a um, really lovely estate, and um, Meatloaf performed mm-hmm. there. Um, I then saw him um, on the Battle Health 3 tour, which was 2007. And then he came back for Hand Cool Teddy Bear in 2010. And then that final UK tour <laughs> where he performed back from start to finish in the second act in 2013 and you can even hear there like his voice wasn't what it once was but there was just something about being in that room with him you know obviously singing along as well which was a huge a huge deal you know to be able to you know to sing that whole album from start to finish um along with him was something that was that was really special absolutely and last question from me i like to put it to you on the spot just so you can't have time to think about it what is your favorite meatloaf song and why I can tell you, I, interestingly, it's not from Battle of Hell. Oh. So I think a lot of people would think, oh, well, that's his favorite album of all time. Um, it's not my favorite is More Than You Deserve, which is actually uh, the first song that the pair of them collaborated on. So that's on the Dead Ring album for anyone who who maybe is, is, isn't aware. And obviously, if you read into the history of the two of them, it came from the musical of the same name that Jim had wrote and Meatloaf actually sang that in those performances. And before I even knew that before I even had that information um the first time I heard that on Dead Ringer um it just it just blew me away um and I think it's just yeah everything I love about Meatloaf and Jim Steinman in the space of about eight minutes so it's it's yeah more than you deserve for me absolutely Won't you take some more boy it's more than you deserve Won't you take some more boy it's more than you deserve a big thanks to Mike. Now, I'm going to finish by going back over to the United States to speak with Joseph K. Vintage Rock Pod superfans will recognize him as he's been on the show a couple of times before, and he goes to so many live concerts, it's incredible. And as you'd expect, of course, he's seen Meatloaf too. So, here's Joe to talk about that. 
So I've only seen him in concert once, but I've seen him in person twice. And the first one is kind of a fun one. The first time I saw Meatloaf uh, in person was in 2002. It was at Miller Park here in Milwaukee as part of the 2002 Celebrity All-Star Baseball Game. Okay. So, <laughs> as it turned out, my, my dad's company had tickets for the box seats. And as a kid, I got to go with my dad to, to see this baseball game. But I'm not even a, a big baseball guy, but it was super cool to sit um, in the box seats and, and watch the game. And I remember when Meatloaf came out onto the field, as a kid, I kind of knew who he was. Like, I know I had seen this Bad Out of Hell album before, but I, don't, I didn't know any of the songs or anything. And I remember thinking it was very funny that the word loaf was on the back of his jersey. Because, <laughs> you know, as a kid, it's just like, oh, I guess that is his last name. And in all the programs and announcements they made, you know, they kept calling him Rockstar. Rockstar Meatloaf, up to bat or whatever. And as a kid, I remember thinking, like, that's a rock star? I mean, you know, where's the long hair? Where's the spandex pants? <laughs> where's the outfits? Where's the... And uh, he sort of, like, introduced me to just a reality that, like, not all rock stars look like that. You know, Steve Miller is another one of those guys where you look at him and you're like, you're a rock star? And then you hear the music and you get it, you know. Yeah. So that was the first time. That was uh, pretty fun. It was definitely interesting. It was uh, unique. Was he any good at baseball? Uh, from what I remember, No. Because <laughs> I don't remember much uh, anything anything good about the game. Uh, I only knew a couple of the celebrities, and from what I remember, it was not a very interesting game. But I also am not a big baseball fan. So the the first and only time I ever saw him properly was um, in a concert at Milwaukee's Summerfest in 2011. He was playing on one of the free stages, and I went with a couple of friends of mine, and it was a pretty big audience. Now, by this point, I knew his greatest hits, and I obviously knew what he looked like at this point. So uh, when I went to the show, I was expecting it to be pretty cool, but I didn't know how he was as a live performer. And when he went out on stage, again, and this isn't, this isn't good on me, but my first impression when I saw him was just like, wow, that's a big guy, you know? And I remember I had seen Alan Parsons uh, play a concert a year before, and Alan Parsons is also kind of a big dude, and I don't mean to pick on them. But from what I remember about Alan Parsons is that he stood still the whole show and was not very high energy, you know, and it was a very chill show, which was fine for what that music is. So when Meatloaf came out, I was expecting him to sort of do something similar. But I was way wrong, because he came out right out of the gate, super high energy, belting it out song after song, running all around the stage like Mick Jagger, you know, <laughs> and doing, like, comedy bits. Like, I think he had a, a t-shirt cannon that he was firing into the crowd at one point. So it was a, a super high energy show, and the crowd was totally into it. So it was a really fun atmosphere. And the absolute best part of the whole show is that near the end of the night, when they were doing the closing jam, him and his guitar players busted out a version of the Freebird guitar solo. 
wow. You know, and as you know, in classic rock circles, that solo's a little maybe overexposed. You know, we've heard it all, heard it a thousand times. But when you're not ready for it, when you're not expecting it, and no idiot in the crowd behind you has been shouting out for it, uh, having that catch you off guard, it's like a cheat code to a kick-ass show. Because <laughs> it was very cool, and it took an already fun night and just put it on that next level. And it was really memorable for me. Absolutely. And speaking of the undeniable, great music, putting you on the spot. What's your favorite Meatloaf song? It's a good question. Uh, I think I would have to say... I think I would have to say two out of three ain't bad. And a big thanks to Joe for joining me and to you for listening too. I hope you've enjoyed this show. It's been pulled together in just a matter of hours from previous interviews and live chats with people here in the UK and over in America. If it's your first time listening, then please do go back and check out the catalogue. There's lots of big names on there. 12 Rock and Roll Hall of Famers in the previous, what, 50 episodes or so? There's a big name guest on every single one. So if classic rock is your thing, please do subscribe or follow Vintage Rock Pod on whatever podcast platform you use. Episodes come out usually every Monday with, as I said, big name guests on each one. Follow, like and subscribe on the social media accounts as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and subscribe over on YouTube too. I post various clips and videos from interviews on there. It's definitely worth checking out. And lastly, please leave a five star review if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which is a brand new thing for Spotify. You can just click the five stars on there. That would be absolutely fantastic. Thank you. You can also check out the website as well, vintagerockpod.com and sign up to become a VRP VIP by filling in the form on the front page there too. So, until the next episode then, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.